eventually our sun will grow cold and go out. When that happens, it won't just take us. It'll take Marilyn Monroe and Lao Tzu and Einstein and Moro Buto and Buddy Holly and Aristophanes and all of this. All of this was for nothing. Unless we go to the stars. The ultimate doomsday device. Organic weapon. Is on board the station. We hit it with everything we had. Now the crew must stop the unstoppable. We didn't even slow it down. On an all new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Match incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside of Ray there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front note row network and npr illinois community voices i am scott and i am here with the team today to talk about the seminal babylon 5 episode that is infection which by the way i get a different feeling when i say the name of this episode now you know after 2020 but you know whatever as i said i'm scott and with me today as always is emily I'm Justin, Kevin, Andrew, fucking Jesse, <laughs> Nicole, John, Mike, and Blake. For those who are just joining us for the first time, I'm sorry you picked this episode, uh, but just to keep everyone in the loop on what's going on, we are going to spend the first part of this show working with our newbies and talking to them about their first impressions as this is the first time they have seen this episode. And then we are going to jettison them out and keep the long-term fans on board to talk about any Easter eggs, um, plot threads, or connections with the rest of the series. Spoilers, it's going to be kind of short this episode. I can just tell you that yet again, I was telling someone about this podcast and this show and they thought it was Battlestar Galactica. So, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, Babylon 5? And they were like, oh, the original or the remake from a few years back? And I was like, I think you think I just said Battlestar Galactica. And they were like, well, what'd you say? And I was like, a different sci-fi show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about first impressions. And we will go with Andrew first. First impressions on infection. Well, I actually kind of liked it. And everyone uh, just goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> Continue, sir. I don't know. It, it just kind of it reminded me a lot of uh, the 80s Cronenberg version of The Fly a little bit. A little like, less I'm, Jeff I'm a big Goldblum. Fan of, but it like, like I'm a big fan of that 80s body horror, which obviously like, this is made for TV. So it's definitely not as grotesque as The Fly is, but like just that general idea the, of like movies or stories that are about drastic changes like that. You should, you should watch The Expanse. Yes, you should. Yes. Adding it to the watch list. I, I completely agree with Mike. For many read the, reasons, but, read yeah. the books before you watch the series, though. I, I, That's I all I'm going to say. I, I disagree. I, give I, it a I, couple I, episodes to breathe. You have the right to be wrong. That's <laughs> it. 
I usually am, but in this case, I'm not. Watch the series. <clears throat> You're wrong. Whatever. Yeah. What are you guys talking about? What show are we talking about now? The you next one we're going to make you watch, Jesse. No, listen. <laughs> it's, it's better five than years this. Of, five years of sci-fi. <laughs> Honestly, although if you're going to read, if you're going to read the Expanse books, just read the books, ignore the series. That's that's my personal take. What the heck? So you didn't like the Expanse TV show? Well, let's just dig in. It's okay. Okay, this is this is a discussion for another podcast. It was okay. Okay, Mike, you and I not as good as the books. You and I are going to do a show about why Justin's wrong. Right. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I can't I can't wait for that rap battle, Scott. Let's do it. Who, who was the one yesterday that lectured us on tangents and going off on uh <laughs> anyway? Okay, so Andrew, do you have anything else you want to add? Why do we do this to Andrew every single time? Like he fun. says one thing and we all just like <laughs> jump on him. Andrew, what other shows can we tell you to watch except this? <laughs> Well, we got Andrew's the one Expanse. who mentioned the expanse, so I'm gonna right. no, defend Mike my did. position. Mike did. It was relevant, so and then it became unrelevant. Yes, <laughs> it was relevant, and I beat the horse to death, and then got another horse in here and beat that one too. Jesse, what's your first impressions on Infection? Two out of ten would not recommend. Uh, didn't like it. Didn't want to watch any of it, and I watched the entire forty-three and a half minute episode. So. Um, no, it wasn't my favorite. Aren't you glad you met me? <laughs> yeah, I ask, I thank myself every single day for being so lucky. Hashtag so, blessed. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, definitely wasn't my favorite. I hated the reporter and I couldn't stand um, anything about her. So. Uh, neither can Garibaldi, so you're fine there. Uh, Nicole, how about you? Well, I'm kind of with Andrew on it. I didn't mind this episode. I didn't hate it. Um, I thought it was entertaining. Uh, I knew off the bat that Nelson was shady. Um, also, there's a shady count. I, there it is. Yep. Wait, there's another <laughs> one. I knew the doctor was shady. And then I realized that the doctor was Ducky from NCIS, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Literally, that's all I could think about the entire episode. So I kept calling him Evil Ducky in my head. All my notes say Evil Ducky, Evil Ducky. <laughs> Whenever um, I hear Ducky, I do not think NCIS. Just I'm oh. old like that. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Thank you, 23 year olds, for throwing it out there. I appreciate it, making sure you got the reference. Excellent. I love it. Um, but no, I didn't hate it. Um, I, I'm with Jesse. That reporter was annoying as hell. Uh, I loved how Garibaldi was sassy with her and kind of like giving her a hard time. I loved that. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was kind of cool um, how basically Sinclair mind effed him to like die and give up. You know what I mean? Like at the end, he just basically was like, oh, I'm going to piss it off. And he not only pisses it off, he mind Fs it. I'm not going to swear. So I said mind F, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, overall, I liked it. I thought it was a lot of action. Once again, Sinclair, you know, jumping into the throes of it. Um, there was a couple other things I noticed and, and picked up on that I, I will talk about later. But overall, I actually kind of enjoyed this one. I mean, I'm not saying, oh, it was epic and it's going to win an Emmy, but it wasn't terrible in my eyes. Spoilers, it did not win an Emmy. <laughs> Justin, what do you got? Now that you've already given us a hot tank that you have no taste in sci-fi shows, go on. Oh, oh uh, come at me, bro. But anyway, um, honestly, 
it wasn't my favorite episode of the season so far. I remember the last time I was on, I compared the first season to my starter marriage, and I'm beginning to question that. Um, however, um, I thought that I didn't really take a whole lot out of this particular episode other than a, a couple decent quotes, um, mainly relating to like military PSD about how there was one quote where people feel something worth dying for because it's easier than finding something worth living for. And that particular quote kind of stuck with me, just kind of how Sinclair towards the end was talking about, you know, had the earth kind of been destroyed, we will have lost Marilyn Monroe and Buddy Holly and everything like that. So like, honestly, like other than the, pop culture references that were kind of dropped within the episode, there really wasn't anything that majorly kind of stuck with me for this one. Let's go to Blake. So, I mean, initial first thoughts, and I've watched this episode a couple times this week, and yeah, it's never been one of the outstanding greats of the series, but some of that also gets into, this was the first episode written after The Gathering, and it was written over a year after the, <clears throat> over a year after The Gathering was done. Uh, so this was really Straczynski getting back in touch with these characters and trying to figure out how these characters were going to go from that pilot movie into a series. It was also oh, the first no one kidding. produced. Uh, so in production order, this is episode 101 in production order. So some of the clunkiness, I think, with it is is that piece of it, of this is really the first time back into this series for Straczynski. Um, and it doesn't really contribute much long-term plot-wise, but there are some foreshadowing pieces and some universe setting in it that i think adds value uh let's go over to john john your first impressions and the butthole count if you would <laughs> well this one sucked major buttholes this was my least favorite episode far and away uh, for any number of reasons um but like i think the biggest one is this felt like 10 pounds of shit they tried to stuff in a five pound bag i feel like they had so much to say and they were like oh we only got 43 minutes to say it so let's try to address as many topics as we can let's talk about like nativism and capitalism and all this other stuff and then just jam it all in. So, I mean, we, we can get to some of the particulars, but it just felt really stilted and it felt like a mismatch. So to Blake's point, I mean, that's actually good to know. It makes more sense that, you know, this was, uh, you know, I would say this is like a starter and almost another pilot and you just throw this out. Um, now I know he said, you know, mention some foreshadowing stuff, which we'll get into, you know, that I, I kind of caught, um, or at least I think, again, I don't, I don't know what's going to go down, but we'll see what happens in my predictions. But um, the only saving grace for this episode were some of the classic sci-fi tropes and, uh, you know, wrath of Khan yell, death yells and stuff like that that I really enjoyed. But otherwise, um, this episode was terrible and I hate you for wasting 45 minutes of my life. Again, aren't you glad you met me? <laughs> and it just gets quiet in the room. Excellent. Excellent. Let's see. Who haven't we talked to yet? Let's go to Mike. You know, I didn't hate it. It's not, it's not great, <laughs> but I didn't hate it. It's got a lot of um, tone setting and I actually was not aware that this was the first one in production uh, after the gathering. So that does make a lot of sense, but it actually, the thing about this episode, besides the kind of uh, heavy handed metaphor uh, about, uh, you know, the, the world war two and uh, what is perfection, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the thing that kind of stuck with me was uh, the show's self-awareness. Um, at least that's how I perceived it, because we've now seen like three episodes of Sinclair throwing himself into harm's way 
and that seems like crappy sci-fi you know hokey writing where like why would the supreme guy on the ship be the one that puts himself in in harm's way immediately and then at the end of this episode they sort of shine a light on it yeah and they're like here's why <laughs> and like we're aware of it he's aware of it <laughs> and i thought that was actually really really cool and really kind of thought-provoking um now it's i guess interesting to say that this was now uh the first one that they produced the first episode that he wrote after the gathering and so it, it almost somewhat nullifies the you know what i perceive to be really savvy writing <laughs> it's still really savvy writing the dialogue in this show is killer but um that was the takeaway moment for me for this whole thing the the alien stomping around acting like jason Voorhees, i could care less about but uh although to your covid reference if i got a particle cannon arm out of getting sneezed on then you know i'd definitely lick some doorknobs but uh <laughs> but yeah now the uh like i said the takeaway for this uh, for me was was kind of the show's self-awareness it knows what it is it knows what it's doing things are more deliberate than they seem which we've kind of been saying since the beginning as far as plot line goes you heard it here first folks mike is anti-mask and pro doorknobs <laughs> i said if i got a particle cannon arm there is yes. a qualification there. You are right. You are right. Emily, your uh, first impressions. Right. I didn't hate it. I actually was pretty entertained by this episode. And we finally get to meet Dr. Franklin. He was like introduced at what? The end of the first episode? Uh, first part of the second episode, but then he had yeah. nothing to do with that episode. Yeah. Right. And we have seen nothing about him. So we're finally getting to know a little bit about him. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and yeah, I actually kind of like the little evil creature. It looked like a little evil tardigrade to me, <laughs> like with the little, yeah, little appendages. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I didn't think it was terrible. I actually kind of enjoyed it. And I think it's because when I heard the name of the episode, Infection, I first went to like a virus and oh, great, we're going to do like some virus hits the station and they're going to have to like rush to figure out you know an antidote to it or something <clears throat> so it was it was nice that that was not the plot line uh, i hate to tell you but we have five years of sci-fi that's gonna be a plot line just oh i'm it, sure it, it will be at it's some been a point. plot line in every star trek series is gonna be a plot line in the babylon five i promise <laughs> yeah. but it was nice that the infection was actually just some weird little evil little tardigrade taking someone over and the last one, and it is, as we're recording it, his birthday today. So, Kevin, Woo! birthday boy. I don't know why you're here on your birthday. You could be doing a lot better things. But tell us your first impressions of infection. Well, we, we did get some character development on uh, just, just a little bit on uh, the previous history of Sinclair and Garibaldi. I thought that was interesting. This is the, the first uh, mention of uh, Interstellar News first mention of uh, uh interstellar expeditions but i really enjoyed seeing david mccollum i've been a, a fan of his for quite a long time one of my favorite movies is the great escape with uh ashley pitts uh him playing that character as a young guy so this is uh this is cool to see him in a in a sci-fi role that's not usual for him i don't know i thought it was enjoyable certainly from a, from a campy perspective i think it was kind of fun before we talk anymore with the team, Blake and I got the opportunity to speak with an amazing 
person who happens to be the man in the suit, Marshall Teague. So we're going to play a little bit of our interview with Marshall talking about his experience in infection. And then later this week, we'll release the entire interview with Marshall because he has more to do with Babylon 5 than just this episode. And we also talked to him about his amazing career, which just wait for the full interview. But here is a little snippet about his work with infection. The first thing I would love to hear from you is um, how you got uh, casted for the role uh, and your experience in making that episode. Well, I got, I mean, I went in, you know, like everybody else is a new show, just like everybody else. You go in, nobody, you know, you don't know what it is. It's, it's a new show. It's a brand new show. It's sci-fi. It's out there. It's another universe. I mean, it's as opposed to Star Trek that traveled to different uh, uh, places in in the Babylon Five world, we brought all the places together. It was probably, it, it, I mean, Joe Straczynski's uh, his mind works. He's out there in a great way. You know, his mind just works. It never stops. He never stops. Uh, but this was something that was had been in his mind for a long time because he's he is a sonic the sci-fi geek, if you really. But he created this. We went in. And there really wasn't a lot of people going into it. I understand a lot of people got turned down because the first question they ask you, are you claustrophobic? That was the first question they ask. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't like, no, I said, are you claustrophobic? Because this is about to get really tight. And I went in for the interview and they asked me this question. I says, well, uh, no, I was a diver in the Navy. I'm not claustrophobic on anything. And they said, wonderful. Uh, you know, I did a quick read of something, which there really wasn't a lot of dialogue, as you well know. I walked around other than playing the character as a human, as a, I turned into a bioweapon and pretty much wreaked havoc across Babylon 5. But, uh, you know, we, I think we should get into how that was done. It was the first, I think it was the first TV full body prosthetic that was ever done. And uh, in doing so, I mean, when I went in, they said, yeah, you're going to be in a suit. I Okay, I've been in a lot of suits, so it doesn't bother me. So, well, this one's going to be a little different. We're going to cast your entire body, and the uh, you're only going to be able to breathe through two straws. We're going to put in your nose. Okay, <laughs> they didn't tell me that. While after they covered me up with all this stuff, and I was in this vat, literally in this vat with two straws coming up through this material. They went to lunch. They left me completely encased in this. I think it was for 45 minutes. I was in there. So I just finally fell asleep. I got bored. So I fell asleep, snoozing away when they finally came back in. They, you know, first thing they said, oh, crap, he's still in there. Marshall, you okay? I said, what? Yeah, I'm fine, man. What? I, I said, it feels firm. You know, so I think we're done. So, you know, the, obviously they start the separation process. The boxes go down. There's a big gel block and they cut it in half and out pops Marshall with two straws still in his nose. And then they started forming this suit, this, this Akarian warrior. The suit weighed 72 pounds. Jeez. It took, uh, I think, four and a half hours to get me into it. And once you get into it, you're not coming out of it till the end of the day. I, I lost 11. On the average, I lost 11 and a half pounds per day. My goodness. And how many days were you actually in the suit? Nine days. Wow. Nine days. Um, they, at first, I mean, I was walking around. They said, we're hearing water slush. I said, yes, you are. The boots that I'm in are full. 
you didn't have to go to the restroom because obviously you didn't hold on to anything. So I punched holes in the boots. And of course, all this water just started pouring out of the boots. And I'm no, I didn't go to the bathroom in the suit. No, I didn't do it. Clear that up right now. I did not <laughs> do that at any point. But they punched holes in it. And the next thing they know, the floor is covered with sweat, liquid. It's an internal temperature that I think the internal temperature was 108 on an average day. And when you fought, the temperature went to about 115. That, that's the first couple of days, first two or three days there, you know, they didn't have a cool suit, you know, to keep my temperature down. So basically, I just had to sit in there and roast for, you know, eight, eight hours and drink a lot of fluids. And again, I will say I did not go to the bathroom in that suit. It just all came out in sweat. But they sculpted. If you've seen it, it was it's a pretty intense suit, you know, with that huge weapon on my right arm and, uh, and this thing that came out because of that implanted that implanted um, piece of that David McCallum stole, by the way, off, off uh, the, the planet of Icarium that implanted itself in my chest and created that thing. So uh, that's just a little bit of how I got the roles because I wasn't claustrophobic. And Joe kept coming in every once in a while while we were shooting this. And he would walk up to me and he would get real close to it like this. And he would look at me. Of course, my eyes were slits, you know, they had these yellow films with slits in it. And he said, are you okay? And I just did the voice that I went, yes, I am fine. <laughs> and two or three times every day, he would come in and tap me on the head. Are you okay? You know, and it just, it was very kind, very sweet of him to do so. But they finally got the cool suit and that helped a lot. So part of our background that we've been doing with the show is also, you know, Scott and I have both been reading the old Usenet groups for Babylon 5 that are still out there. And We've also watched some of the videos from the various conventions where the cast has been telling stories. And there's one in particular out there online about uh, you and the suit. I guess they were having a production meeting and no one had seen the suit yet. And there's this story version where they said you kind of, they sent you into this production meeting, kicking the door in, in the suit. Yes, sir. Well, that was another little gift from Joe. Joe wanted to surprise her because basically he didn't let anybody see this. This being the first time in a television program that they did a walking, talking human being in a 72 pound, a carrying biological war machine. And they were in there having a meeting. And he said, I just want you to kick the door and come in. So I did. And I picked up the weapon and I waved it around the room like this. And he said, and Joe was very cool. He said, you may return to station. That was, yes, sir. <laughs> Turned around and walked out. And everybody was sitting there going, oh, shit, what was that? That's amazing. <laughs> one of the little, one of the girls in there, I don't know who she was, but what department she worked. I'll never forget a little tiny thing, sweet as she could be, but she jumped back like somebody had plugged her into a wall socket. She just went, she went, oh my God, like this. And I was kind of like, wow, I guess, you know, we got the, uh, we got the needed effect. The interesting thing about this too is not only were you in the show for season one, right off the bat, but this is um, the first episode in the production order. So you were working with the team right out of the get-go for them as well, too. They had, done, they had done the pilot, but that was a year before this. So yeah. what kind of experience was it working with a fresh production team as well? You know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked that question. It's a very good question because anytime you're coming on to something and to this magnitude where you're creating this and you're creating this around something that no one has done to this point and with a new, with a new crew, I will say that, you know, they jumped in 
with all four feet. I mean, I think it was because, I mean, all the neat things they got to create and ideas that they came up with, they were able to come up with this and literally just throw it out there. What do you think? And, um, you know, there was a lot of people bit, you know, they bit on this. They would sit there and go, well, yeah, I think we can do this. You know, I think we can do this and, and let's try this. And they couldn't have been more kind. You know, they really couldn't have been more kind because when you walk up and you have a guy standing next to you with a mop and a bucket, who's walk, when you go over and you have to stand in one place, you know, you stand in one place. So they don't want people to slip on all the, the sweat coming out. And then they have a box of, I want to call it sand or fuller's earth or something. They wanted me to step in before I walked in because they didn't want me slipping. You know, they wanted me to step off. They mopped up the water. I stepped in the stuff to give me a little traction so I could walk in with this thing on. I mean, you'd be surprised what it's like when you're walking around in that all day long and you're looking through. I mean, they really couldn't even take out the uh, the eye coverings, you know, the uh, whatever, they, you know, lens covers. They couldn't take them out because it was just the suit was built so tight, you know, to me. It literally, you know, when if I. If I clamped down on my jaw, you would see this. You would see the suit react. I mean, it was literally that that tight on me. Hearing was a bit of an issue, you know, like rolling. You couldn't hear it, <laughs> so they had to punch little holes there so I could hear something, you know, through the suit. I mean, the suit was about, I mean, that thick in places. Uh, I mean, maybe that thick. So you know, to give that bulk and size to it. But when you talk about a crew going the extra mile. You know, they knew they, they had something good here. Everybody there knew out of the box, they had something really, really good here. And they wanted to be a part of it. And they were not going to let it fail. And they did. Thank you again to Marshall Teague for taking some time to speak with us. Again, the full interview will be released on our channel later this week. Back to our original programming. What do you like about this episode before we get into what we didn't like? Well, I mean, I guess that the things that I kind of thought was interesting about the episode is um, back during the presidential election, um, there was a mention about how, you know, the the pro-Earth candidate won, who was the sitting president of the Earth Alliance, and then the doctor left to go serve that president. And then all of a sudden you have an instance where now you're having on Earth anti-alien attacks and stuff like that to where like that was something kind of subtle that i picked up in the episode that i thought that like when even like it goes from earth into the station to where you know even you know as much of as much as we kind of like shaded some hate against Ivanova, she was like you know what you go ahead and you talk to the humans i'll be over here getting drunk with the aliens and stuff like that so you know, you see that kind of you you see a xenophobic still kind of thing happening within the station, even though, you know, the the president has a thing and the there's a lot of attacks against those people and against alien creatures on Earth. So that's one thing that I just kind of picked up as like a subtle thing from 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 this episode. If I do anything in our watch through of this podcast, I will get you all to say Ivanova's name right, damn it. <laughs> and one if, day. Ivanova. Susan Ivanova. I know half of her. Zuzichka. I'm pretty sure you pronounce it Lieutenant Commander Suckass. I think that's, I think that's the pronunciation. I, 
I'm going to reach out to Claudia Christensen just for you, sir, and say, hey, Absolutely. I would love Get to interview you. <laughs> Nicole, what do you got? Just a couple things I noticed um, were, well, one thing I noticed was how they had two fatalities in Gray 13. So now I'm thinking maybe that's where we got Gray 17 from, which we still don't fully know yet, but I'm thinking, oh, it's a section of the ship. Okay, I'm catching on here. Um, so I noticed that. Um, but one thing I thought was kind of interesting was the dynamic between Steven and, um, or, you know, the doctor and, um, you know, what the heck was that other doctor's name? Oh, Dr. Hendricks, evil ducky. Um, you know, that was somebody he admired. He looked up to, uh, somebody he, you know, studied under. And then basically, you know, he realized, wait, this guy isn't what I thought he was. And, you know, um, the guy thought, you know, Hendricks thought he was going to keep his loyalty and be shady and get away with, you know, his plan of making all this money and like smuggling this on. And he had no qualms that Nelson killed the dude. Like he didn't care. He didn't care about any of that. And it showed that he had like a really nasty character. And, you know, um, the doctor, Stephen, he basically was like, mm -mm, not on my watch. And he turned him in anyway. So I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic to see how he went from holding him in such high esteem to realizing, wait a second, this guy isn't that great. And then to understanding, like, you know, I have to, I have to do what's right here and, and turn him in because he did all this horrible stuff and put the whole ship in danger. And um, it was kind of a cool, like, I guess, journey to watch um, that kind of whole thing, you know, go through. Um, and just overall, like some of the funny things I thought, um, I liked it when Garibaldi told that reporter, I'd rather have my tonsils taken out through my ears. <laughs> it made me laugh. I don't know why, but that line specifically made me laugh really hard. Um, and then when Ivanova basically shut down that reporter and was like, you're too young to experience that kind of pain or whatever. I was like, okay, well, that's going to be a question that I raise. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, where does that come from? So, um, but overall, like, I like that. I like that dynamic. And obviously I really enjoyed the talk between Garibaldi and um, Sinclair at the end. I do think the, the episode ended on kind of a somber, sad note, um, but we'll get into that a little further when we talk about dislikes. But overall, I don't know. I had fun with it. I thought it was kind of fun. It was like Iron Man from hell, but he was kind of dumb. So they like let him around and like kind of like, let me follow you, you know, and like, I'm a robot. I'm going to do I'm going to go here. Like he had no all he could say was protect and he just did whatever he like was kind of following the bait, you know, so um that was kind of funny but um yeah I don't know I really and I just really like how Sinclair basically got in his head and just flipped flipped the script on the whole thing I I really like that too so um but yeah I've said too much so I'm gonna stop talking now but I like I don't know I guess I like this episode a lot more than I thought we got the shady count and we also have this Sinclair puts himself in the line of fire count which is actually brought up in this episode but I think it's been more than three times even though Garibaldi says three because I'm pretty sure it's been five in the past four episodes Emily, what do you got? Um, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. I like the conversation with Garibaldi and Sinclair because I felt like it actually gave us an insight into why Garibaldi may have been moved around in position so often because it kind of seemed like he was one that wasn't just going to tell the commander what he wanted to hear. He was going to be honest and call him out on what he saw were issues like you know, I know you're wanting to do these things, but maybe you need to think about why you're behaving in this manner. Why are you always like trying to be the front one out <laughs> and putting yourself in the dangerous situations? So 
that made me wonder if that was that might be part of the backstory and the reasons of why he was losing positions and had been fired a few times because people didn't like his honesty. Blake, what do you got? You know, thinking about that conversation at the end with Garibaldi and Sinclair, one of the complaints we had going back to Discovery Season 1 was they never really gave us the scope or the impact of what that war meant in that season. But And they haven't really done that yet in Babylon 5 either. We know there was the Earth-Mimbari War. We know there was this, you know, what they keep referring to as the Battle of the Line, but there's no scope or scale to what that means or the significance of it. And I think that in line was really the attempt to to give that scope of how this impacted those who participated in that event and, and I, to really get into that discussion with Sinclair around the mental state of those who, who took part in that battle and then trying to find meaning afterwards. Um, I won't say too much because there's more there, but it won't come out for a little while. We'll talk about it here in about 20 minutes, but the newbies yeah, can't hear about we'll, it. Yeah. We'll get there in about 20 minutes. Yeah. But the I, other part with the episode two, I think love you too, Jesse. <laughs> Uh, the other part with this episode, too, of the formatting is I think there was also a desire a little bit with the network to see if Babylon 5 could do kind of that monster or alien of the week type story after the after the gathering and how much kind of more intellectual sci-fi that could have been in some regards versus getting more into a seri- into a story more like a Star Trek type story with this one. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you there. And I, you know, in terms to the uh, Garibaldi and Sinclair conversation, it's interesting that they use the line, and I say they because JMS wrote this, so it was his line. Um, you keep putting your life on the line. And I think that is absolutely a reference to trying to get back to that one moment in his life that he has no connection to as well, too. To your point, uh, Blake, about um, what we're seeing in this episode, I tend to be the defender. Uh, I will point out two things. One is, as was already mentioned, this absolutely was the first script written uh, before we actually started really figuring out where we we're going to go with this show. Uh, I've got a, a quote here from JMS from the Usenets back in 93, 94, probably 94. The problem with infection from a writing point of view is that it was the first one written out for the season. And I was having a hard time finding the fingerprints of the characters again after so much time had passed after the pilot. It was nearly a year between the revising shooting of the pilot and the writing of the first series script. As on any show, it takes a while to get up to speed once you hit the series. That was the real problem. And there wasn't any real way to get past it except to write it, reacquaint myself with the characters and move on. I probably would have opted out of doing it had we had more scripts on hand, but we didn't. And oddly, many of the production team liked, quote unquote, liked the script uh, quite a lot and kept saying we should have it done. And the other point I was going to make to that too, what you were just saying, Blake, is this is, again... As you said, the studio has probably seen if we can do a Monster of the Week episode, which is what we're used to on syndicated television. Even though this is a network, it's still a syndicated network. And we still have a lot of studio notes that are coming this way. I think what we're going to find as we move forward in the show, uh, especially in season two, but then also in season three and on more so, the studio gives less and less notes. And we see what happens when that happens. It becomes more serialized. The stories become more connected. Uh, and by series, season three, honestly, and JMS has said this, the studio just stopped caring. Uh, so I think you're seeing a lot of influence here by the studio, not as much by the writers, and that will change. Kevin, what do you got? I, I was just thinking from an actor standpoint, this couldn't have been a particularly easy one to film. Uh, I, it doesn't look like those... Uh 
those combat uh, uh, uniforms are particularly comfortable and that that whole body prosthetic that Marshall Teague was wearing in this that I found I found kind of interesting, you know, hearing a little bit about that. Man, that that could not have been an easy one to film at all. I mean, they look like they're uh, it's about 110 degrees on set and it's it's got to be a tough one to film. Emily, what do you got? Um, it was actually when Sinclair was battling the monster, I guess we'll call him, um, because it felt very much like something Kirk would do while using Spock logic. (laughs) So his use of logic against the organic bioweapon of sorts, whatever you want to call him. Um, yeah, it just, it very, felt very Spock-like to me. And I I love Spock, so that was nice. (laughs) I can see that. Um, you know, I, I think we can move on now to the Sinclair Garibaldi and Garibaldi ISN piece. But real quick, I do want to kind of hit on, and you guys have already hit on it too a little bit. When I watch season one, I've said this several times and I will continue to say it, especially when we get to episodes like TKO, I usually skip most of season one. And Infection's definitely one that I have skipped. And so I really didn't know what I was going to get into because I probably haven't seen Infection since I've done a full watch through, which was probably over a decade ago. But it wasn't as bad as I expected. Uh, It definitely is not good, but it was not bad. And I think it was because two things. One, we'll get into it here in a moment with the Garibaldi-Sinclair conversation. But also, I do think, even though it's a very ham-fisted, the idea of purity and how there is no such thing. You can define purity as much as you want, but when you boil it down, no one is 100% pure. And there's also some connections made that I can't talk to you all about, but we'll talk about when we kick you all out. John, what do you got? Yeah, I just keep waiting. Uh, you know, we were in the uh, "What do you like?" episode. I kept waiting for when move it to the "What do you dislike?" So I'm just okay. gonna go ahead. For this. Oh, this is awesome! This is awesome. Uh, this episode was bad. It was really bad. Um, so <laughs> let me just go ahead and start with taking it apart. Um, so first of all, so I was glad to get to know the doctor more, only so I could throw him on my list of hate as well, because this whole <gasps> thing was, apparently, um, yeah. Who? I, okay, time out, time out. Yeah. I have one question, sir. Yeah. Who do you not hate on the cast right. so far? Who hates the doctor. Londo, who they left out of this episode like some chumps. <laughs> okay. So you like Londo. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. I mean, listen, there are some, there are some characters I like. Uh, Garibaldi tried to save himself at the end of this episode, which when we do talk about, we can get into. But here, let me explain to you why I was not a fan of the doc, right? So a man is sitting there. His long lost professor just shows up and in about 30 seconds convinces him to yet again, seemingly break the rules, i.e. not investigate enough whether this was quarantined for his own gain. Then in, I don't know, I don't want to call it the worst acting because we've seen some doozies on this show. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden flips on the doctor and takes this moral high ground and, and seemingly just like, I don't know, it just does a 180. So his, his performance felt very wooden. His, I didn't really buy, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Nicole, because I know you're like, oh, I liked how he, that transition he made. I thought it's, I, I, would, I didn't buy it. It was very, um, very stilted for, to me. And also, you're right, they, got the, they have these organic uh, materials and they're trying to crack the code and they're all tired and they've been working on it for 15 hours and they don't seemingly have anything. And then fast forward like three scenes and all of a sudden the doctor has this whole world's entire like history as if he wrote their Wikipedia page. And is just giving this giant exposition dumped to the commander that I just thought I found kind of distracting. And, you know, I just I didn't there was a lot. Like I said, the whole 10 pounds in a five pound bag. It just seemed like 
Jamez had a bunch of ideas that he wanted to talk about. He had a bunch of themes that he wanted to hit. And he was like, well, I jammed them all into this one episode. Let's hope it works. And for me, it just did not work. Um, anyway, like you said, a lot of it was ham fists. A lot of it was two on the nose. I mean, by my count, in this little 43 minutes, we talked about xenophobia, freedom of the press, ethnic purity slash eugenics, fanaticism, PTSD. I mean, it was going in all these different directions. And instead, man, just focus on one. You know, you got to have a lot of story to tell. Like, don't don't seemingly rush it. Um, I've got a bunch of nitpicks that I can get into, but since I've, I've droned on for a little bit, I'm happy to jump off the hate train for a second. Let somebody else pick up the torch. We can get you back on the hate train a minute. I, 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 I want to say though, as much as you are bashing on this episode, JMS agrees with you. I'm going to read one more for thing from the Usenet here. Uh, I have problems. This is from JMS. I have problems with infection as well. So there is no flame from me. I guess part of it is knowing that was a script that we shouldn't have been carried off that should have been carried off better, but wasn't. And part of it is my fault. I tried to use Nelson, the machine as a metaphor. It wasn't supposed to be about the Nelson machine, but about the kind of people who would create it and the kind of people who would sell it and the kind of people who would confiscate it, even knowing what it was. And of course, the kind of people who would use it. Unfortunately, when you put somebody in that kind of suit, that becomes the story. And he goes on from there. So, yeah, I, I, I think JMS would agree with you, John. Jesse, what do you got? Um, so I'm going to start this with the fact that I've seen one Star Wars ever. You've seen a Star War. Okay. And I've, I've seen one uh, Uno Star War. Um, and then I've never seen any other sci-fi whatsoever. So um, this is my first sci-fi series. So trying to wrap my head around the nonsense. Like, listen, I'm, I'm trained in verbal judo. I use verbal de-escalation on an absolute daily basis. Um, and it was so effing unrealistic watching him talk his way out of this monster killing everybody on the ship. Um, I couldn't get past it. Then that's my, like, that was my main gripe with this was like, I'm like, oh, this is horseshit. Like that would never happen. So I think I need to get into the, the realm of sci-fi and realize that not everything is like how it would happen in my life. Um, but on a positive note, Ivanova got some uh, points today when she stepped in front of uh, Sinclair. So that's probably the nicest thing you'll ever hear me say about her. Give it time. I, I swear, you not maybe not that. John, mm-hmm. maybe not John, but Ivanova is going to wear down some of you. I promise. Mm-hmm. But Jesse, I will say to you personally, that is one of the reasons why I'm so happy that you are on this show because we have a whole bunch of Star Trek, Star Wars nerds on here. And it's really good, honestly, to get the perspective of somebody who does not uh, deal with that world at all. Nicole, you're kind of the same way in this boat. So I really do appreciate what you guys are adding to it as well. Yeah, what do you got? You know, on a slightly personal note, not to get too much into it, but it's like being a veteran, like it, it irks me that that's always the go-to like, oh man, if you were a veteran, you are super jacked up now and you have all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's not, that's, we should maybe pull it back. I know this is the nineties and you know, we don't have to get into it, but um, so I just wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, <laughs> there was, I will say uh, that initial murder, that the customs guy was maybe the funniest 
murder I've ever seen with the, <laughs> I thought he was going to choke him out. And then I don't think he knew what he was doing. He was reaching for, it was, that was, that was pretty funny. Uh, as well as the reporters, I transitioned to the shitter. She was like, Oh, I guess I'm done. Listen to Garibaldi shoot a shot again. And I got to go take a dump. And she was going the wrong way. So I thought, Oh, that was funny. I appreciated that. Even though um, one last quick drive by to Garibaldi's creeping ass, which was again in the beginning on full display. Um, and then apparently his criminal record, Let, let's just, I mean, just, you know, I don't want to dominate this whole podcast with uh, how much everyone sucks, but just let me know when you want to drop in those nugs. Cause I got them. So. Oh, come on though. You gotta love the, if this leaves a waxy buildup, I'm coming back. <laughs> so, so he said it's either an aphrodisiac or what? A floor waxing agent. <laughs> and he still bought it. So which one was he hoping for? <laughs> he yes. said, if this leaves floor a waxy wax. buildup, I'm <laughs> So you can, it depends on where the waxy buildup is. I love Garibaldi and I love Jerry Doyle, although I'm sure when he was alive, he wouldn't have loved me. But it's still, I love Jerry Doyle. Well, maybe he should do his job better and apparently send any sort of patrol in the gray zone, anything at all, because it is the Wild West down there and nobody is marking anything. Yeah, we got brown and gray sector. They're both fun, aren't they? I mean, I guess that Garibaldi is becoming quickly one of my favorite characters. He is the William T. Riker. Uh, for me and Riker was my favorite character in TNG so you know just having him interact with people the way that he did and having him be like well is this an aphrodisiac is this a floor cleaner you know what I'm gonna buy it anyway and just see what happens like honestly he is he's the Riker for me so like he's he's my favorite character going for it I love it that Justin, you think Garibaldi is Riker, and I can see that. But for me, Garibaldi will always be the Miles O'Brien of the of Babylon Five. Which, really? It, you know, I mean, Deep Space Nine, ironically, really? obviously, is being aired the exact same time this is, so they're being aired, they're being developed at the same time. But he's which O'Brien, like next gen O'Brien, or oh, no DS Nine, DS Nine. Oh, that doesn't bode well for Garibaldi. <laughs> exactly. See, you know DS9. O'Brien must suffer. Garibaldi oh, no. will suffer. <laughs> that's bad. That okay. a, no spoilers. That's, I, oh, come on. That's not, not next 20 minutes. The next that's okay. He's minutes. not my favorite. Garibaldi <laughs> will suffer. Okay, that's all I got to say. O'Brien suffers too. Yeah. How bad this episode is that we have to talk about other sci-fi shows, which by the way, I'm not even like a big sci-fi fan as you guys, but Jess is over here. Did you guys just drop in names? And I'm like, wait, who? What? Is this the same show? Am I missing characters? Yeah, I have no idea what they're talking about about 95% of the time. Mike, what do you got? Uh gonna jump off the hate train for a minute and just mention once again how much I appreciate the dialogue between characters and I did like, uh, despite I, I did hate the whole uh, interview story arc, uh, subplot, whatever you want to call it. Like you said, it wasn't really even a plot B, but I did appreciate the uh, commentary from Sinclair about how he did give an interview once and ended up posted so far away that you wouldn't be able to find him with a hunting dog and a Ouija board. <laughs> so whoever writes the character dialogue is, is aces in the, my book. Yeah, you know, and this is absolutely the first time we get an ISN reporter this is not a spoiler. It will not be the last time we get ISN reporters. And those episodes, at least in my opinion, are usually fairly good episodes. And I think part of it is uh, JMS was a journalist for a long time. Uh, and actually, um, before doing Babylon 5, he did Murder, She Wrote. And most of the episodes he did that uh, leaned on her as a, you know, a journalist. Uh, so 
I think he leans on that. And I completely agree. It's not done well here, but uh, I think it's done well later on. Nicole, what do you got? I was just kind of thinking about how the end quote from uh, Sinclair, where he was like, you know, uh, when she asked if, you know, we should go to space and should we just worry about our own and not worry about space anymore? And he was like, you know, um, the sun will go cold, go cold, yeah, grow cold eventually and take us all, but it will be all for nothing unless we go to the stars. I thought that was kind of like, okay, that was kind of a somber slash thoughtful way to end the show. Um, and I kind of was thinking like, you know, all right, well, I mean, I, I thought that was maybe like a little foreshadowing on why it's so important to him. I could be wrong, but I just thought it was kind of um, maybe giving a little bit more insight onto why he thinks it's so important to have Babylon 5 be successful and why it's so important to have the ambassadors and the diplomacy between the aliens and the Earth and the Earth Alliance and all that. Again, Earth Alliance is probably shady, but whatever. Um, so, and I just have to say, um, I know we got some hate on Garibaldi, but I think he's hilarious. And I think it's so funny how he just does not give an F and he shoots a shot with whoever. And, you know, he's just trying to get his. And I think, you know what? Go for it, Garibaldi, because you're stuck on this freaking ship with all these people and you got to manage all of them. You might as well have a little fun, too. So I am team Garibaldi getting it. The the one part of this episode that stands out to me, and I forgot that that quote comes from this episode because that quote I, I remember from this show, specifically season one. And it's something that is a conversation that we're having right now. Hell, Blake, you and I have had this conversation and sometimes we're on the opposite side of things. I think that space exploration is extremely important for that very reason. As a civilization, unless you don't care about our civilization, we need to explore space because sooner or later, whether it's a few years from now uh, or it's a billion years from now, this place ain't going to be livable. So it's a decision we have to make. Again, if you don't put as much stock in human culture, which I've lived through the 2020s, I get you. Um, it may not be as a profound argument for you. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I just want to close on that note and say that I think, you know, as we recap through this, you're reminding me of things that honestly, I, I remember taking note of and then promptly forgot about. It's, it's the fact that there are a lot of actually really good lines in this episode. There are a lot of very poignant moments and every single one of them is undercut by the goofy pacing and the misplaced emphasis of this episode. <laughs> Season one for me very much is that in a nutshell, Mike. It is a lot of really good ideas with a lot of filler. So let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions. So we started this last week. Uh, we were always doing questions from our newbies before we kicked them out. And then uh, Blake, Kevin, Mike, and I will promptly answer them for you after we've kicked you off. But we also want to hear your predictions. We want to hear where you think this show's going. And there may not be much out of infection, but we'll do it anyway. So I'm going to go to every one of the newbies and just ask you if you have any lingering questions after this episode and what predictions you may have for the show. John, your hand is up. So we'll go with you first. Yeah, let me start with uh, some of the questions I have. Um, so the first is actually to you guys. Am I the only one that skips the intro when we're watching the episodes? So as soon as I hear the commander's voice in the, the years 20, 32, the third age man, I'm always like, skip intro. Hey, HBO Max gave you the skip button for a reason. The one that I will say, and I haven't seen on this ep this series yet, but be careful when you do that sometimes. Cause like, I know 
and it may not be anymore because West Wing's moved over to HBO Max, but there were several episodes of West Wing where if you skip, it jumps about five minutes into the episode and that really annoys the shit out of me. But uh, yeah, I, I skipped the intros too. I will say on a technical note, Scott, I've watched about 15 episodes ahead. I've not seen it do that with this one on. Excellent. So you should be good to skip that. I would say watch it once a season and beyond that, yeah, skip through it. And I will say, again, not a spoiler, the intro does change every season because, again, we are following books in a story. So when book two starts season two, the intro does change. So you may want to check it out at least once every season, like Blake said. All right. Noted. Uh, second question. Was I the only one that thought that the archaeologist had a weird shaped head? He looked like a human bobblehead. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, we'll another- discuss that beyond the rim. <laughs> another question I had. Uh, why is security the only one that has the different colored uniforms? So, you know, all of the other like commanders, the even the medical guys, the, the commander, the lieutenant, they all have blue. Gearball and his crew is the only one rocking gray. Yeah. Blake, did they ever bring that up? It's, it's not a sport. It's not a serious point. I think it's. They, they sort of address it um, rather clumsily. It's almost like it's different service branches. That's what I was thinking. It's like, so, you know, the. the, the yeah. The Medical's station. different too. Uh, yeah. No, medical's still the blue. When he's, wor- when he's when he's dressed, he's oh, wearing okay. blue. Because it's almost like, you know, within the Earth Alliance military, there's the, you know, more of the command, the. The Navy. Uh, which is more the Navy slash Air Force type. But then you've got your security forces who are more your Army um, Marine type. And there actually are different uniforms within those uh, service branches. And so we I think s- they kind of hint at it because we'll, we'll meet a character's family member later who's in, a, in that different service branch. Mm-hmm. And they have that different uniform of those different colors. So I think that is where they're going to address it. And, and John... Uh- I, I'm glad you brought up this episode. I've known this about you, but I'm glad you did bring up your vet status because that's actually, uh, I'm looking forward to your insight when we do get into some of these military pieces, which we haven't yet, but we will. Okay. Uh, exciting. Uh, because uh, as I move into predictions, I'm concerned again, uh, kind of Nicole's point where they, they really Freddie foreshadowed it. They're right there at the end, but uh, earth seems to be the big villain. And I'm going to go ahead and make my prediction that earth shockingly uh, humans suck and the earth and its alliance will be, a villain or the villain or will not be good. Uh, my prediction, maybe because I want it to come true again, I hope the commander gets his death wish. I hope he doesn't make it um, all that far uh, as, as I'm not a fan and I'm sure we'll get the uh, lovely sci-fi trope of the valiant sacrifice that he'll make. Um, but hopefully we can get somebody new in there. Um, and then uh, thanks to Scott, I think apparently something bad is going to happen to Garibaldi. So I don't know. Can't wait to see that. I don't know. It's like, if you've ever watched Deep Space Nine, I will tell you the trope because that will help you not think it's a spoiler. The whole joke of Deep Space Nine was whenever they needed a filler episode, the writer's room said O'Brien must suffer. And there was an episode written about how O'Brien is tortured or suffers or is beaten to a pulp or put into a prison for 90 years and brought back after that. I mean, seriously, O'Brien suffers. Kind of the same idea here. Hey, we need a stories idea. Garibaldi suffers. Okay, we're good. For those of you not familiar with O'Brien, he's the everyman character who uh, just fixes shit and goes back home to his terrible life. Oh, fantastic. He's got a cute kid who he exiles on a planet for a long time. That's exactly what you want if you have, you know, 
a terrible life is to be the guy who gets bad shit that happens to you. It's like Job. Fantastic. I will say that my closing little statement there though, I will give Garibaldi credit, at least the actor specifically that conversation he did have was far and away the best acting of this episode and the best acting I've seen that guy do yet. So um, if we get more of that Garibaldi, I might, you know, he might escape my hate list. I, I think knowing you, John, as I do, I really think at the end of the day, Jerry Doyle is going to be somebody you like the actor who plays Garibaldi. And I, I mean, that as an actor, I think he's somebody who's going to ingratiate himself on you. Just give him time. I don't know about Ivanova. No, she I, think, I no. think you're going to like Garibaldi. I really do. The show just insists on having terrible female characters. Like almost all sci-fi does. The reporter was terrible. Give me a, give me a female character I can root for thus far. I, I ain't seen it. All right. Thank you for all that. Emily, what do you got? Questions and predictions. Okay, so question. Why do they still have a grant process? <laughs> like, um, Dr. Franklin, like, the other doctor was whining about the entire grant process and getting funding. And, like, have they not figured out a better system by now? Come on. Ma'am, you know, this is, you know this as well as I do. The only constant in the universe is bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I was going to be quote. hopeful that maybe they get together a little bit better than that um one thing that we hadn't mentioned yet is when vance was talking about the technology they were trying to take um he mentioned that the vorlons have similar technology and so i'm wondering if that's going to come up again in the future because there was kind of that little hint about well the vorlons have it and the minbari are trying to get it so we should be doing the same so um, I'm kind of hoping that comes back as a storyline and how that plays out with a group who has it, one who's, you know, was more advanced in getting it. And now the Earth Alliance has confiscated what was brought on board because they want to develop it. Um, and yeah, that was... That was kind of the big one that's just sitting out there for potential storylines for me is what's going to happen with that and do, how much more will we learn about the Vorlon? Got it. Let's go to Justin. Questions and predictions. I mean, really the only question I have at this point is, you know, we've talked a lot about Garibaldi and honestly, he is my Riker uh, in this series. So I, I honestly, I just really want to see where he goes from there like that's it got it honestly i really didn't gather a whole lot more from this episode than that i'm shocked this is such a (laughs) seminal episode (laughs) (laughs) okay nicole what do you got so i just like i said earlier i want to know uh when ivanova says to the reporter uh you're too young to endure that much pain what the heck does that mean like why did she say that did she do something to make him mad or like, where does that come from? And then also, you know, the, uh, the doctor saying basically, is this um, a foreshadowing a preview of what's to come? Is that going to be an issue in the future with, you know, um, more hate crimes and things like that? Is that going to be a storyline or something going forward? Um, And then I guess only prediction really, I would say is, you know, um, I think that we're going to probably not see the last of the biotech stuff, uh, especially now that the Earth Alliance took it. Um, I feel like they're going to try to develop some weapons with it, maybe. And it's um, maybe going to become a problem. Um, But also one thing I wanted to also touch on was Emily said something that made me think about it. 
when the Dr. Ben in the gathering looked into the Vorlon suit and he saw like the light, when um, that dude opened it for the first time and the electric current came and he saw that light, and he was like all messed up. That like kind of made me think of that, especially when they started talking about the Vorlon thing at the end. I was like, oh, snap, that was really similar to what happened when they looked at the Vorlon suit. So is this potential, you know, organic stuff something similar to what the Vorlons use or is it a piece of what the Vorlons use? And basically we're going to try to copy it. Like, is there a correlation with the Vorlons and this, you know, organic um, makeup or whatever? Jesse, what do you got? Garibaldi, I think he's going to quit. Um, I thought he was quitting today when he was talking to Sinclair. Like I was getting, I'm going to quit vibes and uh, he didn't. So at some point he's going to be out and Ivanova and Sinclair, I think they were a thing at some point. And I think that's the pain that she's talking about. There's another thing we can add to the spreadsheet, the ship counter, Blake. We had a couple shipping last episode. No, 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 not shipping. I think they were ship. Listen, I'm too old to use ship. I think they used to date and we're moving on from that. Oh, they used to date. They were a thing. I think they were, or they might be. I don't know. I'm not shipping them though. I think that she's terrible and I would never want anybody to date her. <laughs> Except God. maybe the telepath. I might ship those two. It is my goal. In the next two or three years we record this thing, I will get Claudia Christensen on this episode, uh, this podcast, just to like go toe to toe with you guys. I I'm want- sure she's a very nice person in We're real gonna life. Gonna have to kick I off John. Hate her character. I don't know. I think I, I think she would take John on. She's well, so on Twitter. You'll, you'll I, kick I, John off for us. I'm 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 reaching out to her as we speak. I'm like, hey, you, you got to talk to our newbies. Come on. Anytime she wants to get together and Jello wrestle to figure out whether her character's good or not, I'm willing to 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 do that. I'm I'm willing to make sacrifices. I would kick the shit out of you. <laughs> hey, I didn't say I was opposed to it. You know what I'm saying? You I am good money for that. <laughs> I am going to. Cut that part out and send that to her. <laughs> and then I'm going to get a restraining order. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Okay. Uh, we started with them. We'll end with them. Andrew, questions and predictions. Uh, so kind of going off of what John said about the Earth Alliance becoming an enemy, I'm going to take it a step further. Uh, I think the Earth is going to just be destroyed. The Earth is going to just be gone at some point. Well, you can't bury the punchline. Do you have a reason why you think that? I just, I'm a pessimist. (laughs) You just like to see the earth burn. Literally. Got it. (laughs) Cool. Well, we got five years to find out if you're right, boss. (laughs) Okay. Anything else? Questions, predictions, anyone missed or want to add an addendum to? Okay. Seeing none. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there for our newbies. We're going to go ahead and kick them off. And then for those who are just joining us again, I don't know why you picked Infection to join us, but welcome. Uh, We are going to roll our credits. There's actually going to be a commercial for another fellow podcast in there too. So please uh, stay along just enough to check them out. And then we will go ahead and move into the Beyond the Rim section where we will spoil everything. We are going to go ahead and answer all the questions that the newbies had answer all the predictions, whether they're right or wrong. And we will also do that um, uh, while connecting Easter eggs and plot threads that may have been involved in this episode uh, once we kick them off. So uh, if you liked what you heard, 
or even if you didn't like what you heard, help us out. Go to anchor.fm slash gray17podcast and like and subscribe using your podcast app of choice. We are on all of them at this point. And then also there you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook. We are having some conversations on both, and I think we got a good community going there. So please join us there as well. Again, anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. Until next week, I have been Scott, and with me as always is... Emily. Justin. Kevin. Andrew. Jesse. Nicole. John. Mike. Dan Blake. Hey, fucking episodes do I have left until I get out of season one? <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> isn't every season like 20-some episodes? About 20. 17. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it will be okay. There is oh, good in season oh, one. Jesse. It does give me hope that you you guys were talking about this is the first one that he started writing after the pilot. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that made a lot of things a little less um, scary. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Hey, Brent. Have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. For those who did not listen to me before the credits, if you do not want to be spoiled, leave now. This is where we are going to talk about all the uh, questions and predictions from our uh, newbies, as well as anything they may have missed, which for infection, they didn't miss much. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and jump into that. Okay, guys. So I want to start with one prediction that was so out of left field, but is correct. And I'm looking forward to two years of viewing from now when it happens. Earth does get destroyed. Andrew, you are completely right. It happens, but it's a million years from now. But you're right. Earth is destroyed. Deconstruction of falling stars. It is a great episode. Okay, guys, where do we want to begin here? Somebody just start knocking out questions predictions and we'll go through it so i'm going to jump in with the biotech weapons piece because yeah. that's uh looking at interplanetary expeditions ipx you know that's going to become a thing with earth trying to get biotech uh that's going to become a very important thing later and what leads earth to aligning with the shadows it even mentioned in this episode the vorlans have the vorlons have 
biotech ships. The Bimbari are rumored to have that type of technology. And it's not really come into play yet, but as they mentioned, there's civilizations in the galaxy that are far older than any of the races we're seeing right now. And the remnants of those uh, that we're seeing with the leftover tech, Earth's trying to find that. And we're going to see later on with the uh, modified battle cruisers for Earth with shadow tech and Earth trying to get their hands on more of that technology. Uh, IPX will be doing various, uh, to quote Nicole, shady things throughout the uh, future of this series. Yeah, and you know that's the one thing that comes out of Infection. And again, it's a dropped line, so you don't even have to watch Infection to get it. But the only thing that's going to carry over from this is Interplanetary Expeditions, which, as you just mentioned, is a huge piece of that. And of course, when we get to John Sheridan, uh, come season two, Anna Sheridan, his wife, was on the Icarus, which was contracted by Interplanetary Expeditions to go find Shadow Tech. So we will come back to them. Absolutely. Mike, what do you got? Yeah, I was I was just gonna comment that I, I kind of wrote down that note as well as is was this episode a the the very first hint at the involvement of the shadows working with Earth or elements from Earth? Because something that was said, and I wish I had written down the actual line, but something that was said in the doctor's explanation about interplanet era was interplanetary inter, interplanetary expeditions. IPX. Uh, IPX and uh you know, the Earth Defense Force Bioweapons Division. Something about that tripped me up as like, well, why would they be looking for that unless somebody was leading them to it? Well, and I, I, you know, I was actually cruising the Usenet trying to figure this out. And Blake, tell me if you found it, because I could not find any true JMS line that says, yes, infection is the first uh, peak at shadow tech or at least you know we said the Icarians had an invasion uh x amount of years ago i i don't know i i never saw if that was confirmed or not but it, in my head canon absolutely i agree yeah i never saw anything confirming that either um, as far as like this being the first illusion of the shadows i actually don't think that comes until it's going to be in a couple episodes uh catherine satai was sinclair's girlfriend Mm-hmm. Uh, mentions that she gets a commission to go to a planet and Jakar flat out tells her, do not go there. There's things in this galaxy older than any of us. Yes. And I kind of think that's some of the first warning about there are forces out there that, you know, go well beyond anything we comprehend or are capable of comprehending at this point. But I don't think the shadows are necessarily at play yet. That's not going to come in for several more episodes yet. But I do believe that the one thing that uh, is hinted on is Earth is trying to get bioweapons. And we will see that Earth, when they, you know, get pushed to the wall, start making Shadow Tech Earth Alliance vessels. So they are definitely trying to reverse engineer bioweapons. That's absolutely happening. And we also sort of answered one of the other predictions. Yes, we'll be getting a new station commander in 17 episodes. Yes. Yeah. And I, again, I've kind of talked about it a little bit, but we will absolutely, when we get to the final episode of this season, uh, and actually probably we won't talk about it until we get to season two, episode one, because the newbies won't know about Sinclair leaving until then, but we will actually talk about Michael O'Hare and then we will start, at least I will start gushing over Bruce Boxleitner because I am a Sheridan fan a hundred percent, but we're, we're getting there. You're right. We're getting there let's see let's go down the list here so we've talked about the biotech weapons oh the other thing with the biotech is the discussion the connection with the vorlons and nicole mentioning that they you know they both glowed um aside from the fact that obviously we know the vorlons are very much involved in engineering species so i wouldn't doubt if they screwed around the icarians too uh i don't know of any other connection aside from that 
yeah, I don't know if there's necessarily a connection there, but I did want to point out a couple of things. And I, I thought it was yes. interesting that, um, you know, they mentioned the Vorlons having uh, biotech uh, starships. And I just kind of wondered, actually, if any of the newbies, because I don't think they ever explicitly say that in the first episode where we see Vorlons. But I think, you know, at least for me, visually, when I see the Vorlon ship coming out, it's general shape. It's mm-hmm. I thought they did shifty outer nature. Did they? I can't remember if they did or not, but it absolutely looks organic. And we and will, so, yeah, we will in a later episode. They will flat out say that the ship is connected to the pilot. Yeah, and so I just wondered if any, if it wasn't said because I didn't think that it was. If any of the other newbies picked up on that or thought that, it, it sounded like Nicole did pick up on it. it did, I'm it almost positive that. they say it. Um, there's another thing that I wanted to throw out there, and that was that. Um, one of our uh, group members who's been very active in the Facebook chat, uh, we had kind of a, a, an odd side discussion about uh, future fashion and uh, in particular the Vorlons. And he had kind of raised the question of, uh, you know, because we saw how the, the Vorlon ship had this sort of flowy animated um, pattern along its outer hull and that looked very similar to kasha's encounter suit he kind of brought up the question of like you know if they had had that ability that technology to make his encounter suit do the same thing do you think they would have and the answer i think is absolutely yes i think they definitely would have implied that maybe the encounter suit itself was (laughs) had something else going on I don't think it yeah. was a coincidence that they looked so similar in terms of their kind of, it's like space camouflage animal print pattern. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. Blake, you uh, had something too, right? Yeah, and what I was going to comment on, thinking back to the connection with Shadow Tech, I mean, the one thing during Dr. Franklin's conveniently timed exposition into the Akaran conflict was he timed it, I believe, at a thousand years previous. Mm, thank you. I, I was trying to remember what the year was. It was a thousand. You're right. It was a thousand years, which would have been the first Shadow War, roughly. Yeah. So it's conceivable when they talk about the Ikarans getting invaded over and over again, that they were part of that conflict. And this is the type of weaponry that was developed at the time uh, within Akara to help push that back. So I, I, there could be shadow connections in it, even if it's not explicitly drawn through. The other part, though, that I caught is... At the very end, when the you know super soldier realizes what what it's done, um, and shouts out, "Great Maker, forgive us!" You yes. know, there's, there's only one other species refers to their deity as Great Maker, and that is the Centauri. So we already know what's going to happen when it comes up. The Vorlon seeded a lot of these races and acted as if they were their gods. Yep. So it, it's kind of interesting to think that maybe some of these might be precursor races to. Uh, what we're seeing with the major players now. That's a very good point. Very good point. So we got a whole bunch of stuff about Earth, uh, aside from it blowing up. And again, the guys are really into the uh, Earth is fascist kick. Justin actually made a little bit of a, a, a comment. I just didn't correct him, where he said that the pro-Earth president was elected. It's actually the other way around. The pro-open Earth president, Santiago, was elected. And that's why Dr. Kyle went back was to help with Earth immig- uh, for alien immigration purposes. So, and of course, we that's going to come back that Santiago is for an open Earth. But I think these guys still want to do the fascist state already. They're just a little bit ahead of their game. Well, and I think he picked up on that because he even mentioned uh, Dr. Ben and yes, you know, as going back. So I think he he knew what he meant to say. He just misspoke. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
Well, but we also have, you know, the, the mention of hate crimes, which we will absolutely get that with war prayer, which is coming up very soon. Uh, and we also got, uh, what was the other thing they mentioned? Um, oh yeah. Just earth as a villain in general. Um, what do you guys want to, anything you want to add about that? I mean, we've kind of yeah. talked about this a lot at this point, but what else you got? So the one thing with that and the, where they're picking up on the earth as the villain at this point, I think 30 years ago in this show aired, you wouldn't have got that. Mm-hmm. I think if you put this now within the framing of the context, what we've seen within the United States, the last you know, six years. I think what they're kind of projecting into this is, you know, they can see where this path goes. You know, you've got a rising xenophobic, you know, undercurrent that is coming up, even at this point in the series on at Earth, you know, so I think it's less that they're actually seeing Earth as a presently fascist regime, but it's that potential for what is being set up, because we've seen where it goes. You know, we've, Star Trek Discovery, or not Discovery, Strange New Worlds touched on this uh, with their pilot episode with when they showed the, you know, history of Earth to the species they made first contact with. And we're showing January 6th riot pictures. Yeah. So I think there's definitely an undercurrent where current events are kind of feeding some of that narrative with our newbies. Which, on a side note, if you haven't watched Strange New Worlds yet, go watch it. It's the best Star Trek in at least 20 years. Yeah. Throwing it out there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very good point, Blake. And you're right. We, we are definitely using our 2022 goggles on a 1994 show. And I, the, for better or for worse, in a lot of this pieces as well, too. You know, and at times Mike? it's, as I say, at times it's kind of has shock, shockingly like a mirror. <laughs> yeah, well, and this is something I'll get into more when we start talking about uh, Home Guard and Night Watch. It's a mirror for uh, the lead writer too. JMS absolutely uh, had um, a lot of family connections to World War II and uh, the wrong side of World War II. So I think he sees that too and everything as well. And that kind of peppers his ideas. A rise in fascism even internationally and, and xenophobia going on too. You're right. We're, we're really looking at this at a, as a, at a 2020 lens, 2022 lens. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that. I mean, there has definitely been a shift to the idea that strong men are, as strong men politicians, I mean, are something that is idolized by many. And it's not just here in America. Look at Brazil, look at the Philippines or some others. Yeah. Uh, even, even France with the Marine Le Pen, yeah. the rise yeah. of the National Front there. I mean, that guy, yeah, yeah, way too close for comfort. And I don't care what your politics are. You do not want the National Front in t- charge of France. You do not want that. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Okay, so we'll definitely get more into details on that because the, the, as much as I'm saying they're getting too ahead of themselves, we absolutely know by season three and season four, Earth is a fascist state. Plain and simple. So you're right. The the breadcrumbs are being laid there. Uh, A couple other quick ones that were predictions and or questions. No, Ivanova and Sinclair did not get together before the show. Uh, But uh, I mean, I think they have a friendship there for sure. And that's one of the key things when um, actually Sheridan comes is Garibaldi does not have that friendship 
but Ivanova has more of a friendship with Sheridan than, than she did with Sinclair. So I think we'll see more of that connection. Still not a romantic relationship, but we'll see more of a connection between Ivanova and Sheridan when he shows up. And then the other thing was Nicole talked about if Ivanova's pain quote. I think that's just Ivanova being funny. And I thought it was a funny quote. It was funny. To feel that pain. I didn't use that quote. Uh, am I missing anything, guys? Is there anything else that the newbies brought up? I, I do. I do have to take issue with. I think it was John. Although you can correct me if I'm wrong. He. We he, all take issue with John. Go for it. He he said that Sinclair is a crappy leader, and I'm not the biggest Sinclair fan, but that's just blatantly not true. I mean, Sinclair is a is a very good leader, and yeah, maybe he's a little bit too apt to jump in, but uh, people do appreciate that to be on a team to uh, to see that the boss can actually do the job. Well, and I think Blake, you, I think you brought it up in one of the earlier uh, segments and that was, we have a leader coming from a different angle. This guy was never meant to be a leader like this. He is a fighter pilot who just happened to be handpicked by the Mimbari to take this role. And even people are like, we don't know why the Mimbari picked you. And we'll take it. We'll get into that more as season one rolls around. We have no idea why the Mimbari picked you, but they picked you. So here you are. So he is a fighter pilot. So he's going to jump in a star fury. He's going to get in his way. And as we've talked about here, and yeah, I completely appreciate what John said about uh, the overuse of PTSD in culture, but I think it's relevant here and that you have it was well done here. Yeah. And and I think I'm interested to see what John says when we get to the episode where we actually get the battle of the line, which is coming very soon because he is one of the sole survivors and not only is he a sole survivor, he doesn't remember how he survived. That would definitely screw you up. Mm -hmm. And when all your buddies are dead, you're going to want to at least atone for that. And, and as we're seeing here, maybe Sinclair's atonement is that he wants to not commit suicide. He's not suicidal, but he wants to find a good way to die. I'll be interested to see if John is open-minded enough to, really let that sink in a little bit we will see in two episodes that are coming you know uh one being here in the next couple in the sky full of stars which is the battle of the line episode which is battle of the line episode but then also eyes yes which is is when we get the uh star trek guest star extraordinaire jeffrey combs uh (laughs) in his babylon five appearance but we'll have some more deep dive into sheridan and the resentment towards him of even having this post that he was relatively low ranked and not considered qualified for perhaps. So I think we're going to, we're going to get some deeper dive into Sherrod or into Sinclair and why he's there. It's just going to take some time. What I kind of read in uh, Sinclair's response or maybe in Sinclair's character and actions is maybe what guests classify as like survivor's guilt. Mm -hmm. Yes. I can definitely see that. And it's going to be an arc for Sinclair. I mean, even after he leaves the show, we are going to see him return in War Without End. And I think that arc kind of closes. He decides to become that leader that John doesn't think he is and, you know, lead a a galaxy. Well, to kind of close that piece with John's comment on the PTSD angle, I mean, keeping in mind, again, 30 years ago, these issues weren't talked about. It was not. You know, to talk about it openly the way they did in this show was rare for 30 years ago. It's a really good point. And you know what? It's much more talked about now. There's a lot more resources, a lot more openness around these issues now, which I think is where John's coming from. Mm -hmm. 
versus again, 30 years ago, this was not done. You're right. You're right. And you know what I, and part of this is projection onto something that Michael O'Hare may not be doing because I just know hindsight being 2020. When I watched the pained face he is making on the couch, when Garibaldi's having that monologue, I can't help to think that at this very moment, Michael O'Hare, when he's acting that out, is dealing with severe mental trauma to the point where, again, he is seeing people in the room, maybe not during the scene, but he is seeing people in the room who are not there. He is uh, hearing things that are not there. He is extremely paranoid and has extreme anxiety to a point where there's a, a scene in uh, JMS's autobiography where they're actually driving together from uh, a New York comic convention and out of the blue, a plane has to make an emergency landing on the road that they are driving on and it flies over their head and lands in front of them. And Michael O'Hare from the backseat asked JMS, that really happened, didn't it? That just happened, right? Because he doesn't know what reality is at that point. So that's poignant to me. And I think we'll get a deeper discussion on that with and the sky full of stars too, because the, oh, yes. that episode in hindsight, after that all became knowledge, I rewatched that episode and yeah, I think there's going to be some talk about that there. I agree. I agree. We'll, we'll get more into it as we get closer to Michael O'Hare's exit, which is um, we're only on episode four, but it'll be here before we know it. So we'll have more of those conversations as well. Anything else guys you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up again, we will have much more to talk about with parliament of dreams. I think so. And then uh, as we start rolling, I'm looking forward to some of the newbies at questions starting to be answered too. We're not there yet, but we will be soon where some of those questions will start getting answered to the newbies. So, okay, that it will wrap it up for this episode. Next week, we will join you for Parliament of Dreams. And while you are waiting, please make sure to go to anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. I am all for my shameless plugs. And make sure that you are subscribing and giving us a like and review on your podcast app of choice. Uh, even if it's a negative review, that helps the algorithm. So give us all your hate, please. I will take it. And then, of course, uh, as Mike mentioned, we are having Facebook and Twitter conversations. So make sure you click on those links as well and join the conversations. We're actually having some fun ones over at Twitter and on Facebook. So uh, with different people. Okay, guys. Uh, until next time, I am Scott. And with me has been Kevin. Blake and Mike. I'm can, gonna... you, can you find our podcast with a Ouija board and a hunting dog? Ah, yes. That's the, there you go. That's a quote I have absolutely used in real life. Have you ever tried one of these? What is it? I'm not sure. According to the translator, it's either an aphrodisiac or a floor wax. Can't decide if it's worth the risk or not.